Hey everybody, I am Joe Marcello, joined as always by my bandit brother, Orrin Phillips. Hey everybody. And today is that time of week again where we usher in another comic book day, or as we like to call it, a dollar bin bandit day. And today we are bringing you our interview with Hilary Barda. Hillary was instrumental in a really cool comic for me. Uh, those of you who have seen the movie uh, House uh, and the sequel House 2, well, he worked on the comic book version or comic book adaption of House 2, which I was a fan of because that was just a wackadoo movie to begin with. And the fact that they put out a comic book of it, even more interesting. Yeah, he also had a, a really good run with Plastic Man, uh, did some work on New Mutants, uh, a lot of books, uh, one of the better anchors in the business, and uh, a really interesting, cool guy, a uh, fellow Svengoolie fan, I found out. So uh, we had a, a lot in common with him. So uh, without further ado, this is our interview with Hillary Barton. Thank you so much for joining us, as I said. Uh, we're going to ask you the same question we ask everyone uh, to kick it off. How did you get your break into comics? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, I, let's see, digging back into the murky memory here. I, my first comics gig, I had done some local things, fanzine and small press maybe level locally. But the first big national comics, what you would call the big two, um, came from, uh, uh, I was at a Chicago comic book convention, the, at the time, Chicago Comic Con which became wizard. And now I think it's becoming something else again. But um, this was in the early days when I was still a fan artist, but they would let us have space. Uh, but um, I finally felt ready to show my work to an editor. You know, I had a portfolio with me and Al Milgram, edit Marvel editor at the time was there at the show. And I came up and I showed him my work and there was very little comics and there was mostly illustration and, and else it was, like, this is great, but there's no comics, but maybe I could get in some inking work. And I said, sure, you know, that's fantastic. So um, that's the very first job I got. He gave me two pages to ink uh, of Don Perlin on the Defenders. And it's kind of crazy. I look back at this now. I know people that have tried to get into Marvel for a long time. And, you know, who do you talk to? How do you do it? Eventually, they just shut down, you know, the slush pile. People used to just send stuff in the mail and now they, they barely even look at that stuff for legal reasons, right? So I think it's changed, but in those days you could just walk up to an editor and talk to him. And I, I didn't even have to leave town. This was this was in Chicago. And Al was the nicest guy in the world, but he gave me two pages and of course I did a terrible job. <laughs> and so it took a lot longer to get the next couple pages, but I finally got an issue of the Defenders, and that was like the first full issue. Same artist, Don Perlin. Um, it was a really cool issue, too, uh, because um, the first full issue I did was a Dr. Seuss, a tribute to Dr. Seuss. And it was a really great story, and I love Dr. Seuss. And uh, yeah, so that, that was from then on, it was, it was a little faster getting, getting one gig after him. But I was pretty bad for a couple of years. I'm still surprised that they. They kept giving me work because I, <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was doing, A, and B, uh, you know, so I wasn't very good. But B, I was just so nervous. I, my, my work in comics wasn't as good as the work I did before comics because I was so worried about being on the professional stage. You know, I, I didn't want to screw it up, and therefore I screwed it up. 
Uh, early on in your career, as you mentioned, I mean, you had the chance to work with uh, Al Milgram, Joe Sinnott, uh, and you started working on uh, The Thing with John Byrne uh, when, yeah. that issue, when that series started uh, to kick off. What was that like working with uh, John Byrne and such an iconic character? Uh, well, I mean, it was kind of, you know, one of those moments where I'm like, I didn't really believe it was happening because this was, that was the very first series I ever got to ink. You know, I inked again, a few stories uh, in the issue, but that was it. That was the, okay, we're doing this new comic. We want you to be the inker. Ron Wilson was the penciler. John was the uh, writer. I don't believe at the time, I talked to John since then, but I don't think we actually spoke. Um, I sort of got instructions from him, which are basically, I don't care, you know, how you ink it, just don't make the rocks too too small. He hated the certain artists that started to, you know, Jim Starling or whoever, I'm not naming names, certainly not putting words into John's mouth, but certain artists started drawing, you know, the thing a little differently than Kirby had and made the rocks really kind of dinky and they were getting into details that John thought weren't necessary or weren't appropriate to the character. Anyway, so he's like, that was the one bit of instruction I got from Jeff Byrne. Don't make the rocks too small. And my whole thing was, I'm just going to ink the rocks in front of it. Because as an inker, I was just trying to ink. I wasn't trying to redraw things and, and do all that. But um, uh, it was it was great. I mean, it was it was intimidating. Again, just working at Marvel at that time was intimidating. And I was brand spanking new to the gig. But um I learned a lot while doing it. I, I started loosening up a little bit doing the thing. Uh, I'm a brush inker now. And one of the things I did, which was why my work isn't so great to me now, uh, back then, is I switched to using the pen when I went to do Marvel, uh, when I went to do the inking, because I felt I had more control over it. And even though I liked inking with brush, I didn't feel like I had the control. And I really wanted to, I didn't want to screw it up. That was my job one, don't screw it up. But you really can't approach inking that way because when you're inking has to be loose and free. And I was not exactly quite loose and free. So, um, uh, but working on that character, I, one of my favorite comics as a kid was Fantastic Four. Of the few comics I had from the 60s that I still had in the collection, comics probably my older siblings bought. Fantastic Four, you know, uh, Kirby issue uh, where Reed and Reed has to go to the negative zone to get the serum because Sue's having the baby, you know, and all of that. It was one of the most exciting, greatest comics I ever read. Uh, Thor, also by Kirby, you know, a number of other comics, just really fantastic. Uh, so this was like, the, this was really comics. <laughs> Even inking Don Perlin before that, both guys, Perlin and, and, uh, and um, Ron Wilson, they both looked like comics to me. You know, they looked like Marvel they yeah. drew kind of, they just drew the, their people were kind of came out of the Kirby or whatever school, you know, especially Wilson would, I think, tried to do Kirby a little bit in his work. Yeah. I'm always interested and fascinated by when we, you know, we've been doing this for, uh, you know, a little under a year now. And I'm always fascinated by when we talk to people and the dynamic that they have with either the writer, the anchor, the artist, because nine times out of 10, they're always saying like, oh, well, I never really talked to him. You know, everything is just done either by mail or, you know, notes or what have you. And, you know, I think it as fans, we have this, you know, very naive 
mentality about that. Everyone is still huddled in, you know, the bullpen and they're like, Hey man, you know, like elbow to elbow, like, you know, here, do that. And it's, yeah. it's always, it's really just mind blowing to hear that. Like, you know, well, like, yeah, no, I never really spoke to him, but in that vein, you know, you got, you know, John basically told you like, do this or don't do this. Did that ever really happen a lot? Or is that commonplace? Because I'm sure as an artist, you want to impart your own style to whatever, you know, work you're doing. Did um, I get a directive like that often? Yes. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, you know, generally when they hire you, when someone hires an inker or a pencil or anybody, they're hiring that guy to do what they do. I mean, they're hired right. for a reason. Sometimes they, you know, I mean, there's, I'm sure there were artists hired at Marvel, certainly in earlier years where they're like, can you draw more like Jack? You know, they, your work isn't exciting. Can you look at Jack's stuff? Look at the way he did the layouts. Look at these punchy layouts he does. Your stuff is so staid and kind of, you know, a little more sort of uh, formal and little, you know, not as exciting. You know, I know Stan wanted everybody to to do that. And, and, and some of those artists, John Buscema, I think really benefited from looking at Kirby and trying to make his work more dynamic. And he became, you know, uh, just fantastic. Um, I didn't, I don't really remember much of that. I, there weren't many, uh, you know, in terms of specific artists, specific books where someone would say, don't do this or do that. What you would get though, is I had eventually after I worked with Al on a few projects, the editor that I worked with most at Marvel during the years I, I was working there early, the early years was Carl Potts. And I think Carl was known for um, helping break in artists. He would discover people and bring them in. Again, he didn't discover me. I mean, I have to give that to Al if it was a discovery, but um, <laughs> Al let me be discovered, you know. But, but Al, Al is great. And Al did like, the, uh, what was it, Marvel Fanfare? He, a lot of young artists got their start in this glossy book, but he would, he would give, you know, they weren't ready for a regular Marvel series. He'd, he'd give them a story there. He was, he was a champion, I think, of a lot of uh, artists at the start of their career. But um, in, in what Carl did, Carl was really nurtured me a lot. And I remember one thing he told me once, which cracked me up, because again, I was at the beginning, I'm in, I, it's pretty clear to me now I was not doing my best work. And I think it was partly because just because of the tools but Carl didn't know that exactly. He didn't know what exactly was missing. But he told me something that sounded like an Eastern koan. It was, you've got to loosen up and tighten. And, you know, you're like, what does that mean? You know, and I was just thinking about that for weeks. What the heck is Carl talking about? And at some point it clicked in my brain. It's, the, it, it's really the key to everything in life. Because um, if, I, if I may extrapolate, but it's, if you learn the craft, if you get down the fundamentals of whatever it is you do, then when you do it, you're simply in the moment doing the thing. You don't have to think, oh, this tab A goes and you just know that. So you, in inking, you just practice and practice. So when you're working, you can just let it happen. You don't have to think, how do I make a line? Or what's the type of line do I need? You just, you're more just, letting it happen and um, in some ways you have to get out of your own way as an artist to let yourself express the line i don't it, i don't mean that to sound artsy fartsy at all it's really just you want it to flow right yeah and, and so and you look at artists when 
some of the guys who are, are just amazing artists, when you're young and you think style is all about being exact and perfect, you think, oh, Bill Sienkiewicz might be sloppy. But then you, when you actually, when you grow as an artist, you realize that these artists that are doing this other way, they're expressing themselves without uh, any kind of like um, restraint. They're just letting it happen. They're, they're free. And the line is more expressive when that's the case. Kyle Baker was, yeah, Kyle Baker would ink, ink these uh, pages he'd get. Uh, um, he was inking Marshall Rogers, I think, on something. And millions of little windows in the New York skylines and stuff. He inked them freehand. I would have been sitting there with a ruler and a you know a straight edge and a pen and oh I have to make these lines perfect. And when I looked at, it, I go, you know, when you glance at this page, you don't think that building's out of perspective or that window's out of whack. You go, that's that's a that's a building. And then when you look at it a little more closely, you realize this building is actually expressive. The the window is expressive. It has it has some kind of quality that wouldn't be there if you were using technical tools. And um, that. It, that, I think what Carl was getting at is just learn your learn the tools and then get used to using them. Practice, 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 and then just let it go when you're inking. Do you think that art today is missing some of that of what you describe, basically that that character? Because you know you have a lot of artists, not all of them, but a lot of them are using computers, and you don't have that natural flow that one might have with pen to paper, um, you know, cause they have all the tools on the computer that one can make those lines exact. And, you know, really they could blow up a scene to, to put that fine detail in those windows that you're describing that weren't, you know, you weren't able to do, you know, say 10, 15 years ago. Well, the, I mean, the short answer is maybe, and maybe not. It's really, it depends on the artist. Uh, I think, I don't use computers to draw with. Um, the only thing I've done on them is, is color a little bit. And I don't do much of that. So I can't speak for the guys to do it. And I've seen the work of plenty of my friends that often for them, the choice between whether they're going to eat something, um, I guess they use the word traditionally now, which is silly to me, but traditionally versus digitally, you just should just say inking versus yeah. digitally. But anyway, traditionally, They'd say it's a matter of time. It's it's a little faster inking digitally because there's some shortcuts they can take on certain things. You know, you want to spot blacks, you can just pop that button and you fill in the black kind of thing. Right. But their art is just as expressive. It's, it's as loose as you want to be on the computer. They have all these brushes that mimic computer brushes that mimic uh, real brushes or pens and, and other kind of lines. So I think it depends on the artist. But um, I think the danger was, and it certainly is there in the early days of coloring comics and some of the some computer art, is that you do have the ability to blow something up and get into detail, or you have all the bells and whistles. So all of the early color comics look like everybody threw out aesthetics, and now we're just going to add glowy things and highlights and reflected light, when, even when it's not appropriate. And everything was like a coloring book gone wild, you know? Like acid color, you know, someone dropped acid and did a coloring book, and it, they've settled down. People are going back to actually having palettes and understanding color theory and applying it to the pages. And so, it's, I think there was a learning process. There were a couple of years of comics were pretty horrible across the board, but um, that's changed. And I just don't do digital myself. I just like the feel of the paper. I, I, 
I'm too old to learn that one trick right now, I think. But um, I mean, literally, but I just don't care. You know, I'm like, I'm doing fine the way I'm doing it. I've been doing it this way for decades. I don't need to change. So, yeah. uh, You got to work at a comic company that I'm a very big fan of, and that's First Comics. Uh, we had uh, Joe Staten on. And did he recruit you or did you apply to work for them? Um. Well, Joe was the art director at that time. Uh, later, uh, um, Alex Wald uh, was the art director. Um, I don't remember who. I mean, I, I, you know, all I know is I got a call because I'd been doing. I may have even gone to the office, and uh, I knew I'd heard that this company was opening in Evanston at first. And I was actually, you know, I, I, was, I was born in Chicago, and I've spent most of my life here. But I was. Evanston is adjacent. It's a suburb just north of Chicago. That's really where I grew up. And so they were like in my, you know, my, my, my childhood hometown. And they were at an office on Davis Street, you know, and I knew, knew that area really well. And I just thought, one, uh, I, oh, this is like independent comics because they were, they were, they pretty much were, 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 were advertising themselves as an advocate of creator owned material. I mean, they turned out to be something a little more like a traditional comics company that did create their own stuff. They weren't, they weren't the dream place in that regard. So, you know, not every contract was, was, was creator owned. And I certainly didn't work as a, a creator there. I worked for hire. Uh, never signed that contract, but I didn't own it. Or um, but yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, it was just kind of cool walking in there. And Joe, I love Joe's work. I, I used to buy his E-Man at Charlton. You know, before he worked at, at DC or Marvel, I, I followed his stuff then and saw his stuff fancy. So I was, it was fantastic. Jo, Joe's thing is when I was basically they brought me in to work on Starfire, and it was a uh, it was it was a real learning experience. I, that's when I realized I was not cut out for action adventure comics, certainly not monthly ones. Mm-hmm. I was brought in to ink Tim Truman, and then they were going to transition me in as a, as an inker penciler, and I was supposed to do it all, and I had never done anything. And somehow they had faith in me. Well, it turns out <laughs> I was not able to pull it off. I, mean, I just kept getting further and further behind. And then eventually I became a penciler. I had someone else in me, a guy named Mark Nelson, who I'm still friends with, just talking with him earlier today, in fact. Uh, Mark's an amazing artist. But um, I, yeah, I, it, just, it's, it was really, I mean, I wish Worst Comics turned out to be a slightly different place. Uh, there were some great people there, and Joe is one of them. Mike Cole, these guys, are still, I'm still friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whenever Mike comes back through Chicago to have lunch, you know, we'll have lunch together and stuff. Um, but it just, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a learning curve there. And the greatest thing about first comics is they really get, allowed me to do a lot of writing and drawing. And, and, uh, you know, I was, Munden's bar was a feature in the back of Grimjack. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know Grimjack and I, I, I inked a few issues of Grimjack, but the most fun I ever had was drawing and then eventually writing and drawing backups yeah i really got to anyway it was it, uh, you know, first comics i this is this is for just us we can cut this out but yeah, yeah the promise of first comics i don't think was kept completely you know that it, it ended kind of messy they owed a lot of people money you know it, it, it i don't think it was quite the creator own paradise that that i had sort of naively thought it might be you know, i i left marvel to go there i really wanted to go to a smaller company or just in, do independent books, whatever. I had some sort of idealistic vision, but it didn't quite pan out. But in any case, we can go back to recording yeah. now. 
<laughs> I was to say, because when you were there, I mean, as far as flagship books went, but you did some stuff with Nexus, Badger, uh, like you said, Star Slayer and stuff like that. So you were put on um, more of their, their marquee books. Uh, I'm curious because I've spoken to some people who worked on independent books and I asked, you know, did you get a lot of feedback on your work? And oftentimes it's no, not really just, you know, what they just took what you got. Uh, did you get a good amount of feedback on your work or was it just, they? Well, didn't really... I mean, I don't, you know, nobody, nobody told me how to draw or whatever. Don't give, you know, don't give Grimjack uh, a different hat or whatever. They did, I didn't get that kind of feedback, but Joe as the art director, mm-hmm. um, uh, my work, I'm, I think I'm a cartoonist more than an illustrator by nature. I'm somewhere in between. I, when I describe my own work, I say it's cartoony, but it's realistically lit. So I, you know, I try to give the thing weight and I give the figures depth, weight, all that kind of stuff. But they're not their proportions and their and you know the anatomy might be exaggerated in a very cartoony way. Right. Well, and here I was when I was doing Starship. I'm trying to do a, a relatively straight adventure book, right? And Joe, uh, I remember coming into the office one time and there was like a photostat on, on the head, one of the heads and it had been reduced. Mm-hmm. At least I asked, what, what's going on here? He said, well, we're, we had to shrink the head. It was too big. And I, I had a conversation with Joe about it. And he's like, hey, Hillary, your, your heads are always too big. You know? And Joe, Joe, you know, Joe was a cartoonist himself. He, you know, he could draw very cartoony, but he knew when he wanted to do the more realistic stuff, the heads have to be a certain size. And I just naturally draw that my head's large. And now I do it. I'm doing my own work. I just draw them like giant, you know, like Basil Wolverton, uh, you know, uh, Big Daddy Roth, you know, giant monster heads. And it's fun. It's great. It's the most fun part of the body to draw, you know, all the expressive features. But but I don't have, I never at that stage, certainly, I didn't have complete control over proportion. So I would just always make the head a little bigger. It just, they ended up. And sometimes I realized, God, these really are huge. But they didn't even say anything to me. They were just quietly making a photostat, reducing it down, cutting it, putting it back where the old head was. So it was my head. It was just down to scale a little better. And they did it mostly on, on, I think, only on the cover because it was like, it was just stood out too much on the cover. And I couldn't really argue with him. But but Joe was just like, yeah, how are you? All your heads are about three sizes too big. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, when you talk about your style, though, when uh, what though came along, that had to be like, OK, this is a, a really good match. Yeah, I mean, you know, I humor, I think, or just plain slightly off kilter, weird. It might not always be funny, but it's just odd. It, I'm, I'm just don't seem to just, you know, I've tried to write straight adventure stories and I just don't. That's where I, you know, where I'm best. But uh, yeah, what the. What, what what the was it was a way for me to sort of even more than doing not brand act the book that it was patterned after is to go back to mad i really wanted to do savage satires like the original you know mad parodies of superman super duper man or batman bad boy and ruben that kind of stuff i loved harvey kurtzman's work with uh wally wood and elder and severin those guys that's to me those are some of the greatest comics ever yeah. And frankly, one of my problems drawing action adventure came from reading Mad as a child. I read the paperback reprints, the, the mm-hmm. Valentine books that reprinted the early black mm-hmm. or the early color Mad, rather, the comic book Mad. It's hard to draw superheroes and write and think of these stories without, 
you know, you because I'd already read the parodies. I knew someone had already shown me how ridiculous they were on some level from a certain angle. So it's hard. It was hard to take them seriously. But I, yeah, no, I what the in particular, I was I mean, I was in the first issue. Carl, I, I told you I've been working with Carl Potts. And mm-hmm. Carl, Carl, I'd been getting some uh, jobs inking uh, Punisher covers. And I was just inking one of them. I finally just realized, oh God, I hate this character. I really don't <laughs> like characters that weren't, you know, this heroes I grew up with were about protecting and saving people. And this guy is just shooting people. You know, I, I know he's protecting somebody somewhere, but he just he just was too much like too villainous for me. And I it was not crazy about the whole gun thing. So I said, Carl, I really don't want don't offer me any more punishment. Like I said, you know, it's great. But when it came around to what I said, I really want a parody of punishment. He said, go at it. And Carl, I, I didn't realize at the time, Carl really was one of the creators of the Punisher. So. <laughs> but he, he was very, he was, yeah, he really was happy with, with the stories I was doing. So I had the plot for the first one. I wrote the plot. Right. Peter Gillis, I brought Peter Gillis in to write the script. I didn't feel confident writing the script, and he did a fantastic job. And guess what? That story was inked by John Seville, which from, the, from Matt. So it was all coming in, you know, perfect circle for me. And I got to talk to John. You know, gave me the phone number. I call him up. He said, uh, "Mr. Severin, I just want to thank you for inking me." He's like, "Oh, kid, you put it all in the pencils." You know, it was that kind of thing. And then that's not an that's not a that's not a real impression of him. But <laughs> it was like that. You know, this old school guy saying, "Ah, you you put all the work in the pencils." But I got I have one funny story about that. Um, there's a scene at the classic sort of waterfront dive where he goes in to get some information. And he, he's looking for clues for the, for the, you know, something in the plot. And um, he's trying to, he's trying to find out where these guys are. What, what. Anyway, he goes in to ask these guys questions, which means he basically shoots them all. And, <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I did the cartoony thing where there's this pile of bodies and there's little X's in their eyes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's the cartoony thing that they're right. dead. And but because some of those eyes had still had the circle around the X, John, who is very fastidious in his inking, thought I was Xing in those things as the you know, that's what pencils do to indicate out areas black. Right. And thinking he, he thought that I would put a tiny little X in this tiny little eyeball instead of just penciling it in <laughs> I just found that so hilarious. You know, and he blacked in the eyeball because now it looks like the Punisher shot their eyeballs out. Right. <laughs> They're just empty pockets. <laughs> so it was even more violent. <laughs> yeah. What happened to that issue? It got all really dark all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, so I, I know, uh, you know, we, we discussed a little bit of uh, a horror before we started recording, but in your career, you did have a chance to work on the comic adaption of house two, which by the way, I just picked up the, those two issues maybe about a month ago, like the first two issues of that. Yeah, I and work. I was watching house one about an hour ago upstairs. Okay. Um, what was it like working on that? Just wackadoo comic because the movie's bananas and oh. you know, the, the comic is, did pretty much the same thing. <laughs> well, I had not seen the movie, so okay. you know, it's not like they sent me a videotape at the time, right? Um, that's that's before DVDs. <laughs> um, I I don't think I'd seen it, and I think I tried watching it on TV, and I don't know if I ever made it through it. But 
uh, what I got, I think I got some Xeroxes of stills or production stills, you know, photos of the actors and stuff. And all I did was the cover, as I recall, in a, in a, in a pinup page or two. Right? I don't think I did any continuity at all. So I just had that weird, I don't know, with a weird guy with like a cowboy hat and six guns yeah. or something. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I don't know even know who he was, but I just threw everything into that cover. Because no, they didn't ask me to do many covers. And I don't know why they thought I would be right for this, but I do love drawing. I don't necessarily like horror movies as much as I like horror. Like I love older horror films, you know, the mm -hmm. black and white classic universal monster movies and stuff. I love them. The more modern and gory and bloody, the less I'm interested. Uh, but I love the, all the, this, you know, I had to draw a horror. Let's see, there was like a, I think there's a zombie hand coming out of the ground in front of a gravestone. There's this weird, yeah. creepy, colorful looking guy. There's a, a, like a haunted mansion behind him and gnarly trees and a moon. Right. I think I might have had a pterodactyl flying in front of the moon. I'm not sure. I don't know why. I don't even know if that's in the movie. But, but you know. I, I just threw everything in the kitchen sink into it. it really weird colored job. I, I don't know if I have that around here somewhere, but uh, it's it's really colored all over the place. Like purple it's and in green. My stack. I, can, I gotta go look for it. It's it's well, no, it's, it's over so, there. It's right here. Insert, you can insert it into the podcast. You'll see it's like purple and green and brown. It's really weird. I'll, um, I'll try to find it. Okay. On Orin's next question. But anyway. Yeah, um, I yeah, just work from stills that I think get the likenesses and stuff. Yeah. So um, what was that creative process like for some for a property that's not necessarily, um, you know, a uh, obviously it's for a comic book company, but it's not necessarily like Marvel created. So is there like a, a different creative process for that? Like you have to get sign offs from you know, everybody and their brother, you know, like today would be absolutely yeah, crazy. I, well, I went into it kind of naively. I've since worked on a lot of licensed properties where I found out just the hoops you had to jump through. Right. Uh, on that particular job, I have a feeling I just sent in my pencils to Marvel, got approval and inked it, right? I didn't, I don't remember having to make any changes. Um, and I, again, I was working for photos, so I didn't have a lot. I, it, it would have been pretty tough for me not to draw the likeness because if that's what they were worried about. Um, but but I don't remember redrawing at all. And, you know, interestingly enough, I recently, someone wrote me about it. I had drawn something. I had this cover, similar vintage. I think I was doing it right after that. I think it, I either did it on spec or it was a book that was planned at Marvel. I think they were going to do Creepshow. Okay. And I have the, the, whatever this character is, he looks kind of like a janitor. I mean, he's, you know, he's an old kind of Uncle Creepy-like guy. Yeah. But he's just, he's just wearing a jacket and stuff. I've done it. I've done drawing of him, and I think he's doing the classic thing of gesturing to the open grave or something. And I and I couldn't figure out where that came from. And, and a writer, you know, I, we me and the guy who was asking me about it, uh, put it. We put it up on the internet, and the, and the, I think the guy who wrote the script for the comic said, "Oh yeah, that comic was they started in." There was a whole history to why it didn't happen, but. Apparently, you know, it was a job that I I thought I might have done it on spec. Like I was just somehow, oh, I'm going to draw Marvel. I heard Marvel's doing it, so I'll draw a cover on spec. And turns out that maybe I actually got they had the gig. I, I can't remember. I I guess I could go look through my back taxes and look at my check stuff. <laughs> Did I get paid for Creep Show? You know, and <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a number of things that are kind of like murky. You know, like what what happened there? What why did what why didn't that comic happen? Or why did I get that job? Or who? You know, 
<laughs> you ask me about El Milgram, I remember that because that was the big break. But there's a lot of years at Marble where I don't even remember who I was working with because I when I when I was an inker, you know, I did have the thing, but after that, I never really had a regular book until Power Pack, and I didn't even do every issue of that. I was John Bogdanov and I would do a few issues, and there'd be different artists, occasionally June Brigman, other people. Um, but that was the closest I came to a, another regular book at Marvel. Uh, what I was hired to do often was just last minute jobs. I'd get a call on Friday, say, Hillary, how many pages can you do this weekend? We've got a rush job. And I'd say three. So you'd, they'd fed you actually a package, you'd get it on Saturday, clean it up, and you'd have to FedEx it either you know, Monday morning or whenever. And uh, you, you know, Marvel had this thing called combat pay if you had to work on the weekend on a rush job. And you'd get rate and a half. And I actually like getting the work because you made, you know, half half again as much. But I was constantly working on two pages from a book. So I didn't know what the script was because you're just getting this stuff last minute. And what there, there might not be lettering. Um, I mean, back then, there were a lot of books and most books were lettered. But sometimes things were so late, the lettering would be pasted up. It wasn't computer lettering. It was just hand lettered on an overlay. And then they would paste it onto the art that they'd make a stamp from. Um, so often I didn't even know what the stories were, or, you know, it was written, you know, I seldom talked to the artist because I've got two or three pages of a book. And then the next week I'd get two or three pages from a different guy and a different book. It was, it was kind of fun, you know, just getting this crazy stuff thrown at me, but you never were able to get in a groove with an artist, you know. This is, this has nothing to do with any of this, but this is really for my own knowledge, but do you think like the way you're, you know, the, that creative process you're describing where, you know, it's, you're given, okay, here's X amount of pages to do. And beyond that, you don't really, you know, have much of, a, of, you're not really informed of what else is going on. Knowing the full scope of the, the comic and the story, does that help you impart some little extra into the art of it? Well, I, I mean, at some point when I would get books that weren't lettered, I would ask the editors, please send me the script. Because I just wanted to know, you know? Right. And you didn't want to make a bonehead decision and say, oh, I'll add something to this panel, but it's going to screw up the script, you know, like it's going to conflict with the story. You know, whatever that might be, I can't imagine right now. But, there, you know, you might decide you're going to tear some clothing or what, whatever it is you might, might do that would affect the story. But, you know... Yeah, I, I would prefer to at least know what's going on. I I like comics that are lettered. I mean, it's all they always look better when they're lettered in the boards. Mm-hmm. The, the placement, the fine tuning of things when you're an inker and you're thinking around a balloon. I, I can't tell you how many times a letterer would put a balloon, say, on the edge of a hand or a face. And so you just move the thing over, right? You just redraw the hand or you change the position of a finger or whatever it is. You can make adjustments that you can't do if they're pasting it up later, because then they might just put it right back over the hand, you know, um, those sort of things. And it's nice to know what's going on, because then you understand why things are the way they are. You know, you just know what's going on. You're just a little more invested in it's not just lines on paper. You know, you kind of go, oh, this character's going through. He's worried about his mom here. You know, that that kind of helped you get into the, the mood and the feeling of what's happening. Got it. Uh, superheroes aren't worried about the house, you know. They're worried about <laughs> world annihilation or something. Right. Well, you know, 
their they moms are <laughs> their moms are involved too. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Their mom might be annihilated. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, so shifting from Marvel to DC, you had a sure. chance to work on Plastic Man, Woo-hoo! which is an awesome character. Um, my you know, favorite. My favorite. Should be. I I remember pla- the the Plastic Man cartoon show as a kid, and there was a live action po- portion of it. That would it was like you know the plastic man that would intro the next segment, and uh, that was my first intro introduction to plastic man. Ever since then, he was just cool, um, and you know he's gone through so many like uh, not changes, but you know he's been like a major player in in the Justice League and been here, been there. So it's been really a really no, they don't like the I liked it, but um, well. I'm happy you like it. No, I, I think he, I think he's such a distinctive character. I'm happy that you know that if they it would keep him out and do what he does, what other superheroes don't do that humorous storyline. Just being, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to get on the soapbox here. You could finish your thought first before I go in. Well, no, I mean, really, I just wanted to hear about that experience of being a part of that, of okay. being part of that character. Um, well, because you asked about the animation, have you seen? The pilot that Stephen DeStefano uh, uh, did the storyboards for. Have you ever seen it? It's no. animated, purely animated. You can find it. Look up Plastic Man Stephen DeStefano. It's on YouTube somewhere. It's fantastic. Okay. I never really saw the Saturday morning cartoon that you're talking about. I, I mean, that was not something I was watching. So, um, but that is really great. And it's really captures that. You know what Jack Cole, the creative question, really brought to it. It's just really wacky, and very and the animation is very expressive. No, my only problem with bringing Plastic Man into the DC universe and and kind of really got you know stuck in there is then he's just another character. You know, he's not he doesn't have his own world that he's in. I mean, Jack Cole did something different, and then it's just it's kind of like taking Captain Marvel out of the CC Beck world and trying to make him fit into everything else. It just it just drains a character of its uniqueness. There's just too much of, on the corporate side, too much mm-hmm. concern over a coherent universe and not about individual achievements and their own, their, what they do. You know, they're trying to make a corporate product that's sort of all generic in some way. I'm being a little harsh here. They do have, like, creators, you know, have, have a lot of license, but it's just, it, for me, it's like, just let Plastic Man be Plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's just that you know that's me. That's my take on it. So it, and it, working on that miniseries was fantastic. That miniseries was given to Phil Folio. I got in only because Phil had never heard of the character. I don't think he had ever heard of him, but he he wasn't really familiar with him. And um, Phil lived here in Chicago. I was friends with him. Our mutual friend Doug Rice told me about this. I think, hey, did you hear Phil was offered Plastic Man, but he's not sure he's going to do it? I said, what? You know, and I think I just practically you know, jumped on Phil saying, Hey, Phil, let me draw. You can write it. I'll draw. You know, I, I just, I had to get in on that character. And so I kind of just elbowed my way into doing the series. Yeah. Your, uh, your style of art really lends itself to that character. I mean, it just, you know, big head, small head. It really doesn't matter because this is a guy that, you know, that stretches and is can eyeballs can be huge. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I did draw his head on the cover very large a few times, but of course he's coming at you. 
yeah, no, I mean, I love doing it. I mean, look, I think Jack Cole is one of the top cartoonists in comics. He's in, he's in my top, top three. But um, it's just that character is so great. The, those stories, Cole's original stories, are so imaginative. They're so creative. Every single one. And he did splash pages as good as Will Eisner or as anybody back in that day. Um, and, 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 um, and funnier. <laughs> but um, uh, I, and what I did when I got the job, I, I told Mike Gold, Mike Gold was the guy, he wasn't the editor, but he was the guy who, who put the book together. He said, uh, I, I said, look, I really want to do this in the Jack Cole style. He's like, that's fine, you know. Um, uh, uh, but we kind of had to explain why, why Plastic Man was funny, why he was cartoony, which was kind of a drag. Uh, but that, again, the continuity thing, you know. But but other than that little caveat of sort of having to do the reality checks, I was able to draw it as, as to the best of my ability in the style of Cole. And I, I went back and started buying as much Cole as I could and, and really trying to soak up his style and let it inform, uh, you know, how I drew it. And I really tried to draw Plastic Man, the face and the little details, as much as cold as I could. I think, you know, in some cases, maybe I went a little too far, but I was just, I, you know, if that's, if that's an homage, it's an homage, you know, but I really, uh, I don't know. It's just, it, it, you know, it was a dream. And just like doing what that, it's just like my chance to do a sort of mad like story this was doing plastic man it's like i don't know how lucky a guy can get yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it, it, yeah yeah unfortunately there aren't enough of those kind of jobs in comics most of them are like eh, we're gonna you know, we're gonna fight now and it's, it's very serious <laughs> and okay yeah. let me come up with a new wrinkle on that man <laughs> <laughs> well i think those i'm sorry i'm just gonna say like i think those those comics that do impart certain amount of levity to the, to the overall comic world really are quite valuable. I mean, and, and I mean that story-wise and, you know, to, to the reader, because I mean, look, they're, they're, they're superheroes, either characters wearing tights and or flying and doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff. If you can't laugh at it once in a while and everyone's going to be a brooding asshole, then like it's, it's kind of boring after a while. Brooding asshole sounds like a 1980s character. I think it was one of the darker guys. <laughs> that that was my name in high school. No. <laughs> Never stand behind burning ass. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think you know, well, all you have to do is look at like golden age books. There was a range. They did anthologies, and anthologies have always kind of been my favorite comics because you get a variety of stories, and you would get the earnest, serious superhero, and then you would get. You know, lighter stuff, and you get heck, you you get text pages and gag panels and whatnot. But you, you, they weren't afraid to put that this stuff in the same book. And then at some point, companies were like, "Oh, this doesn't fit our, you know, whatever our, 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 our you know, our our trademark style is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's too goofy." But you know, there have always been a few guys that have injected more humor into their work. Um, you know, uh, Keith Giffen would do some pretty hilarious stuff. There's a number of creators that they satisfied the, the fans of the heroes, but they did action adventure, but they also put a lot of wacky stuff in there. And there's a number of guys that do that, right? There still is humor in comics, but it wasn't as wide open as it used to be. You know, Marvel was a yeah. little more formulaic and has been for a long time. Well, speaking of brooding books, and this was a book that 
kind of took off or a lot of books that took off. I'm talking about new mutants. Um, you know, it, it, when you got that book, Rob uh, Liefeld, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Very sort of distinct style. A challenge for you to ink his stuff. Well, um, we, we, we never really connected artistically, but we come from different schools and, um, I think when he inked his own work, he certainly would use a pen. And if he had his brothers, he would have had an inker that was more of a pen inker. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was trying to take stuff that looked all thin line kind of pen work to me in the pencils mm-hmm. and add a little more weight with it, with the brush outlines and stuff. But I did ink a lot of this stuff with pen because you kind of had to. Right. Um, and, you know, he, I don't think he was completely happy with everything I did. I tried to add shadows here and there, which is not his forte. But then I remember, like, you know, he, he's like, oh, I did, I think the blob was coming around a corner, and I put a cast shadow where you do this thing where, like, you just sort of, if, if you're near any kind of wall, you can just throw a shadow on a character. And then you just have that, the, the place in shadow, the, the part of the body in shadow, you just do half flip, right? So one side has got the little backlight coming in. It's a trick Wally Wood and a lot of artists use. But he's like, oh, I like that. So I knew that if I, if we had probably worked together more, maybe, maybe we could have figured out the middle where we could meet, right. but it was, it was really a case where I knew he wasn't happy. And ultimately I wasn't happy doing it. Um, but you know, I, I love the paycheck, you know, it was a great selling book. Those were the years of Marvel working on any X related book. Yeah. It just sold like crazy. And you know, you, you do the work, you get your page rate. And then a month later you get a check for more than your page rate. And you're like, what in the heck? You know, <laughs> I never saw money like that before. Yeah. You know? Um, so that was wonderful. And I stuck it out probably longer than I should have because of the paycheck. <laughs> but you, you remember one time, Rob, I mean, he just had a very specific vision and it just wasn't mine. Right? It's a different artistic vision, but there, on the border of one of the pages, he went in and said the three type of lines he's looking for. He had it down to three, you know, I want this little line like this. And they were very specific. And it's like, whenever I see that stuff, I go, well, why is this guy working with him, why isn't he doing it himself or why isn't he working with someone else because that's not what I do right. why did a, a, an editor put me on this guy and I, I had to think that they wanted me to add a little more weight to it they, but you know I have a feeling if he did it exactly the way he wanted to it probably would have sold better because that's what his fans wanted they were his fans they weren't my fans right. uh, I mean I'm told by kid, people come up and bring those books all the Marvel stuff is what people bring for me to sign generally you know you know as well as the books sell you know what that would sell like this and you know new mutants still like this so people will bring up what to me but then there'll be 10 guys who bring up new mutants still inside you know and they'll say oh we loved your ranking on robin i'm like oh great you know that's cool they they like um (laughs) yeah yeah it it just i knew then with the whole style that image was doing where more and more pen work more and more fine lines I was just doing something else. I was going more and more for heavy shadows and bolder lines. And comics were moving more into this thing where suddenly everybody was putting, you couldn't do a black shadow. Everything had to have lines in the shadow that reflected light. You know, stuff that like Jim Lee and Scott Williams kind of trademarked. Right. And everybody else, you know, people like Mark Silvestri were doing that. And they had been marketed, you know, been like a modern John Buscema, really gutsy drawing. And he was getting a little more particular and, you know, detail oriented. It, it was, I think that settled down a little bit, but there's still a lot of that kind of drawing comics, you know. Um, it's just, to me, it's needless, fussy detail. 
It's not. I, you know, yeah. I was about to say, did you get uh, as an artist the the frenzy that was around? You know, the, you know the the image artists at the time. Uh, you know, they. Oh, I, it was everyone. I mean, it was it was there. You go to a convention and suddenly they have crowds for these artists. I mean, it was huge. And I did a book for Image when they when they all went to Image. Right. And, you know, uh, after after the mutants and, you know, Wolverine and everything that Mark and those guys were doing, Spider-Man in the case of Todd, when they went to Image, Mark said, Hillary, you ought to do a book for us. You really, you, you ought to come in now while I get this good. Mark, yeah. Mark and I were friends. I, I knew him from Chicago. And so I finally did one comic for him. I did Stupid. I did and nobody there was prepared for me doing a parody book. They're like, what the heck? You know, it really didn't fit into what Image was doing either. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was crazy. That book sold like nuts, you know? And uh, I don't know how many of those copies are actually read by people or if they have five or ten, you know, a stack of them in a box. I don't really know how, whether it accurately reflected readership. Right. Um, but you know, and and that whole era ended with the bubble exploding, right? The crash, which kind of t- you know put the lie to that these were genuine sales. They were inflated sales. They were uh, it was a boom, a collector boom, a speculator boom, um, that kind of thing. And uh, I think we're a little closer back to reality now. Yeah. What Sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just talked about uh, with uh, stupid. Um, they, I, I I always got the suspicion that. Everyone was in on the joke with it, uh, you know, uh, personally, that they knew that this was going to be sort of a sort of a spoof book. But it, 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 the, were... the image guys, you mean? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, nobody asked for a script or pencils. I didn't I didn't have an editor. Image Comics was really you talk about a company. The, the thing about Image Comics, say what you will about them. People would tell me later, oh, how do you feel about your book being canceled? And aren't you angry? And uh, all this other stuff. And I was like. Uh, you mean someone hired me to do a book and said I could do whatever I want, and then it sold better than anything I did, and they gave me all of the profits, and I'm going to be mad at them? Right. Like, no, it was, the, it was the greatest thing that ever happened, you know? I mean, I bought a house with the money from that company. Yeah. You know, the down payment. But, you know, it's like, I don't understand. People that always think there's a soap opera behind the works where everybody hates each other, and I'm like, no, it's not perfect, but it just, you know, I no, they knew I was doing a parody book at some point. When you announced the book's name is stupid, they knew it, <laughs> they knew it wasn't the new cyber force, but <laughs> but what I, is but I remember to, uh, when, when they cancel a book, I mean, you know, they, there's always was press then they got crazy press. Everybody wanted to interview you. And uh Todd was interviewing me and they said, Well, what you know, you know, they're asking him about all these cancellations. And Todd said, Well, we canceled stupid because you know it was stupid. That sums it up. That was his comment. But but I think I think what was obvious is what they were doing is they kind of when image happened, they those guys were all like swamped. They didn't suddenly they're managing a company, they're making millions of dollars, and they weren't getting the books out because they were they they were pulled left and right. And some of the guys worked, you know, stuck to the books a little more. Eric Larson certainly did and and uh, and Todd did. But everybody else was like, oh my God, I'm now you know, I'm not like some kind of, um, I'm running a corporation. Uh, but what they did is I think they need, they, they expanded the rule fast. And they, again, they let everybody do what they wanted. And at some point they realized they needed to pull back. And they did need a sort of an identity where we lost it a little bit. But then eventually they became this great independent publisher. 
that, that had really comics are not this, you know, would never have been the same if image wasn't there. They really did finance all kinds of creative projects for people. So image has been a definite plus. I, at the time of when their style was taking over and people at Marvel were getting old time guys to try to draw on the image stuff. I was just like, I'd kind of like wince, you know, seeing, you know, sale December or somebody trying to draw this way. And you knew he was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Yeah. I spent years trying to simplify and now I'm putting in all this other, all the doohickeys or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they weren't happy about it, but um, a lot of bad comics were done, made as a result. But image as a force was, I think is, always been a force for good overall so yeah i mean and they've definitely held you know marvel they're the first company to really challenge marvel dc right so 100 yeah yeah i don't think you could say the big just the big two nowadays i mean because image is you know huge and they're putting out a lot of really good comics that rival you know marvel and dc and i'm a dc guy i have no problem saying that so i mean you know, yeah, it's doing pretty damn well. I mean, my own feeling on it is, you know, you can, you can fall if you're a DC guy. So you you probably love characters, right? They're characters that maybe they imprinted themselves on you when you were young. You read Superman or Batman or whatever it is, and that and you, it's always going to have a thing for you, you know. Right. But for me, I was a guy who was not, even though I read Marvels and I was more of a Marvel guy, just because that's what my older brothers brought home. So I I just love the Marvel characters and that world was more the thing I, I i was into when i became an artist i was interested in the artists so it didn't matter where they were the marvel dc doing their own book if it was if it was their art i was into it and when i was into story the same thing i wanted to read what steve gerber was writing no matter where he was going to write it it happened to be marvel but he really wasn't a marvel writer you know exactly you know he wasn't a house writer he wasn't he wasn't like Roy Thomas or somebody that kind of tried to draw right Stan Lee style or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making a point there or not. No, 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 I'm not there. Yeah. Um, I, I did find Maybe it's a bump. Maybe I don't. I did find my issue of House. Oh, there, there you go. Now, you can see there's like weird color choices: purple and green on the gravestone. I don't. Know. No, it's it's there is there is there's a lot going on here. There is a house in the background with, with as you said, some gnarly trees. There is what appears to, you know, it's like a zombie hands coming out, this um, creepy uh, cowboy. The creepy cowboy. Uh, and then yeah. you have not one, but two pterodactyls in the background. <laughs> two? I could put two in there. There are two, and, and, yeah. And they're mummy hands. Right now I'm realizing right. they're mummy hands. Yeah. Is there a, I guess there is a mummy in this thing, isn't there? That yeah, is you get, there, there's um, yeah, there, there's a lot that happens in this. And so, uh, was, think about it from my perspective. I hadn't seen the movie. I didn't know what the story was. I just knew that there was a mummy in there. That there were pterodactyls in it. So I'm like, I'm throwing it all on the cover. <laughs> well, what I find funny about it is, so the the <clears throat> not funny, haha, but it, funny, interesting is like, so like the 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 cowboy on the cover is a lot way scarier than the one on portrayed on the inside, which is, which I always think is very interesting because covers are, are always not always, but many times misleading as to what's going on in the comic. 
not necessarily in this case. That's just more of a general statement. Like you'll have like the so-and-so appears finally. And it's not until the very last panel of the last page of that comic or that someone, you know, makes their return. The whole comic has nothing to do with that, but. Um, well, how, many, how many comics have the most earth shattering development since whatever. And, you know, they show whoever laying on the ground, the superhero, often superheroes laying on the ground, oh. dead, all, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then, it's, then you open it up like oh he was just sleeping in the actual book or something yeah, yeah. well every like, oh <laughs> every comic is billed as the most earth-shattering comic yeah compared to the one that came out right before it's all sounding and earth-shattering <laughs> yeah oh. it'll change the landscape forever but it didn't. What you know? What I did like about this is that whatever you is, do this month, you must read. You know, this has to happen. <laughs> this is a this is a full comic. There is not one advertisement through it, and there's like forty five pages of yeah. of content. So I mean, this would be considered a double sized issue by today's standards because there's no the, and the advertisement that is in it, it's for another comic book series, you, which you know is what? you know what, Joe? Craven's it's a last full. Movie. It's a full house. Yeah, <laughs> two full house. It's a fuller house, anyway. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to be mindful of your time, but I have to ask you why uh, I'm not. I'm not. not well. <laughs> I'm just missing another Hawaii five <laughs> <laughs> Um, you worked on uh, an Elseworlds story, one of which that I think is one of the most badass ones. Uh, it's uh, the. Um, Is that the apocalypse one? Yes. Uh, where Superman, instead of landing on Earth, lands on Apocalypse and is raised by Darkseid yeah. and is just absolutely awesome. Um, I have the figure somewhere over there. Can't find it. Anyway, working on Superman in a alternate version, if you will. What experience? What what kind of experience was that like for you? Well, I mean, for me, it was mostly artistic thing. I was working with my friend Kieran Dwyer, who I've worked with. I mean, we're we've been pals since we first met. He was to me one of the great artists of that era. You know, he worked at Marvel. He worked at DC. He's been really. He's done his own comics. He's done a lot of stuff with Rick Remender in recent years at Image, I think. But mostly he, he makes his living in advertising. He's not doing comics. Uh, he does a lot of political cartoons. He's on the internet. Interesting. Yeah, he did. He did a, um, uh, what was it called? Unpre- unprecedented was his Trump uh, cartoon. He collected all these cartoons he was doing. Because um, he's always been interested in humor. When he self-published a book, it was a, a very savage humor book called Lowest Comic Denominator. <laughs> uh, I think he recently might have collected it's some pretty wild stuff, but I, Kieran just draws so well. It was so much fun to ink him. Uh, and um, I don't, you know, you're inking stuff. I don't remember if that stuff was lettered or not, or if it was lettered on overlay, but it's just so gutsy. And at the beginning, I remember the beginning of the story, Kieran was looking for reference for how he wanted to draw Apocalypse. And someone had given me a book on blast furnaces. And which, if you know what those are, they're incredible these buildings with the pipes on the outside, basically, and they look like Giger buildings almost yeah. Yeah. with all the tubes and the pipes. And, and I was like, and I, I think I was just photocopying pages from the book and mailing it to him. It's like, 
Karen, you got to look at this stuff. It's just, this was really great. And we used a lot of that. Like it's this real industrial kind of 1984 kind of environment. Right. Um, and so there's some of that, I think, in, in the book. But no, it's just, it's just the gutsy drawing. It's so, it's so much fun. I mean, there's action stuff in there. There's Apocalypse and Superman are fighting at one point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. He's fighting some big chunky monster guy. I can't even remember if the guy had a name, but um, you, maybe you can fill this stuff in for me. But anyway, it was just a beautiful looking book. It was fun to hang, you know. Uh, John Francis Moore was a writer, right? Uh, let me check. Four? Yes. Because uh, because we did two. We we as a team did two of those uh, miniseries. One with yes, John Francis Moore. One with Batman and Superman, I think, and one with just Superman. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, there's Elseworlds Finest, which was uh, yeah. Superman and Batman. And then you had uh, Superman the Dark Side. Yeah, Superman the Dark Side. Now, that was, yeah, the, yeah those, were, those were fun. But just doing that much work with Kira. I mean, it was really, yeah. I mean, so much of it for me is just, it's like you're having a, you know, a party with your friend. <laughs> so, you know, when you're working on like uh, Superman and Batman for that matter, you know, the, the tentpole characters for DC, are you now given that, I mean, they are not the conventional uh, stories, you know, they're Elseworlds. So you can, there's a little bit more latitude, I'm assuming, but are you, you know, are you given free reign on something like that to kind of, you know, Kieran was it, I inked what he gave me. I no okay. one ever, you know, I, this is not a case where anybody corrected a face. I mean, I know when they collected the, the, the miniseries, I didn't get to ink the cover. And I think it was Carl Kiesel did it. And I think he had a slightly slicker way of, of, uh, of, of doing the characters. I think that's why they gave him uh, the cover. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, if Kieran's doing it rough, I'm going to do it rough. I just want to be in the spirit of the pencil. I'm mm -hmm. not going to, I'm not going to pretty it up or because as an inker, I, to me, it's always about the pencil. I, I if I connect with the guy, I want to, I want to fulfill his vision to the best of my ability. Uh, if I don't connect with them, and they're, you know, we've talked about that a little bit. It's not as easy. It's, it's different. It's a little more difficult. But Kieran, uh, inking John Bogdanov, um, there's a number of guys. Inking even Mark Silvestre. So I just love inking them. There's just some guys that just, you know, you could just, you know exactly what they're doing, and it fits it's right in your wheelhouse. Kieran was one of those guys. So uh, it, was, it was just fun. Yeah. Cool. The other one, the other series, I, and I inked that mostly with the brush. When I did the, the Elseworlds Finest, because it was set back in the 20s or 30s, mm -hmm. I decided to eat with a pen to try to add more of a, the older, you know, illustration line style of, of that era. Not that I was mimicking any particular artist, but trying to evoke the era of, you know, newspaper illustration with line art that wouldn't have heavy blacks and do, you know, the Joseph Clement Coles or Franklin Booth kind of era. I'm not that good, but that's that's the kind of style general style i'm going for um i think it was a little less successful because it just i like I you know kieran stuff is just so gutsy i kind of liked it with that the, the apocalypse went a little more mm -hmm. but they're both both fantastic um That's there's a sequence there's a sequence at the end of one of the issues maybe it's at the end of the whole thing with a plane crashing and i didn't get to ink all that because i was running behind on the schedule and Another guy came in to help. He did a great job. It's like those pages were so great. This giant, <laughs> giant plane and Kieran's. Oh, Kieran's so dynamic. Oh man. Anyway, when it when yeah, you kind of feel a little territorial if you're the eager, and then you're falling behind. They're like, well, we're going to give these pages over to 
And they're like, no! <laughs> but, you know, if I'm late, I, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't blame anybody else for that. So. Has there been, uh, and this is the, the last question before we let you go, but considering all the characters that you've had a chance to work on over the years in your career, has there been one that you've wanted to really sink your teeth in more or just you never got the chance to and wanted to do so, like one that really sticks out for you? Well, um, I never worked on Dr. Strange, but I did a parody of Dr. Strange because Dr. Strange was my favorite Marvel character in a lot of ways. I just love Steve Ditko. I never wanted to draw Spider-Man. It's not a superhero guy. And that is one crazy ass costume to draw. But uh, <laughs> you really have to know what you're doing drawing that costume. But Dr. Strange, I loved him. And when I did the Dr. Strange parody, Doug Rice, my writing partner, and I did that. Uh, we kind of did a Strange Tales issue. I did Dr. Strange and Doug did uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, it was really an homage to Ditko as much as a parody of the character. I, I didn't really have anything I needed to make fun of. Whereas with the Punisher, oh, I wanted kids to laugh at that character. Doctor Strange, I was just having fun with the character, I think. And I did, God, Chuck Dixon and I did a Plasmo story at Bongo. Plasmo is this mystical character in their superhero universe there with Radioactive Man. And that was a Doctor Strange story. There, there's, you know, so I've done two or three of them with Doctor Strange, even though I never actually worked on the character himself. Um, I don't know that I would actually want to do a straight Doctor Strange story or not, but if I if they were if they were asking me what to do, I would say Doctor Strange because in fact the last job I did at Marvel, the first job in many years, was a job for a, this a book that Alex Ross had put together or curated uh, called Marvel. You know, oh yeah, that yes. he that and oh yeah, and he basically asked all his artists he wanted to work with or friends that he wanted to give you know you know give a job to at Marvel. It said. What character would you like to work on? You can work on any character you want. And I said, Doctor Strange. And Alex said, any character but Doctor Strange. And that's <laughs> and that's because like five other guys before me that he talked to had all said Doctor Strange. So yeah, someone someone couldn't get Doctor Strange, they did Wong. But Alex was doing a thing with Doctor Strange. Mitch O'Connell did a Doctor Strange. And uh, so then Alex said, well, okay, if you're not doing Doctor Strange, what character? And it took me a couple of minutes and I said, how about the Kirby monsters? You know, before Marvel became Marvel, mm -hmm. it was still Atlas or whatever the heck, you, not Atlas, but um, whatever they call themselves, periodical something or other. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but it was it was Atlas in the 50s. But anyway, right before Marvel, I don't know if they even had a company name on the books. Anyway, I so I did a, a story featuring those characters. So that's how far removed I am from superheroes. We did fit Dr. Drew in there, who was the precursor to Dr. Strange, a very obscure character for most people, but he was Dr. Strange before Dr. Strange did. So I, that's another character that I did sort of Dr. Strange-ish. You know, I put the, the window, that the spirit window that Dr. Strange has, you know, with the, the three bars. Yeah, I, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I do, yes. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned your... your question. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, no, definitely, definitely. But which uh, character would I want to do more? Well, I really I wanted to do more of Splash Brannigan, but once Alan Moore left, it, they, they just didn't think there was any any point in going on. But I would have continued to write and draw, and that kind of broke my heart that I couldn't do that. That, that would have been fun to continue that character. 
because I had a few. I, I thought I had a few good ideas for stories, but what are you going to do? <laughs> so, just for fun, what do you think of? Since you mentioned Doctor Strange, what do you think of the MCU version of Doctor Strange that we've been seeing in the movies? I haven't seen any of the movies. What? <laughs> I, I'm that odd duck because uh, I'm not that interested in the characters so much as the comics and the artists. So the movies to me have in some ways no connection to the comics. They're just like some other thing. Uh, I did see the first Spider-Man movies, you know, when they first started coming out with actual CGI and they could do this stuff pretty well. Yeah. I enjoyed the first two Spider-Man movies up to a point, though I I'm not, I won't go into it, my, my, my film criticism here. But by the time the third one came out, I was like, eh. And then I really was like, I really ha- did not go to see a lot of Marvel after that so i'm an odd guy that way i don't really care about the superhero movies i'm not waiting for the next one to come out and, and so forth fair enough but um, i yeah i so i've seen the ads for the the latest one was the eternals right and i'm looking at the ads and just looking at the commercial i'm like yeah i don't want to see that <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't look like kirby to me <laughs> you know no. I'm, a, I'm not a stickler for that you know to me a movie is a movie and if they did a great movie but it wasn't the comic uh, that would be okay with me. I'm not. I'm not. You know. I'm not. I, I wouldn't hold their foot to that. Uh, that fire. was my. I, I saw that a couple of weeks ago, and my one. Uh, I had a few criticisms for it, but the one that really stuck out for me is they took the Kirbiness out of it. Yeah. So you know, they've they've shown Eternals, the the beings or uh, of the, not Eternals, the um, Celestials. Um, in other versions of uh, another MCU movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and I think maybe another. And those portrayals of Celestials, they looked like the Kirby versions. And that's what got me excited about Eternals, thinking, well, okay, I'm going to see more of that because this whole world is predicated on the work he did. So I was hoping to see that style. And it was completely washed <laughs> of it. I mean, you saw something that resembled it, but it was not that. And I was like, that's balls, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, I've, I've seen people talking about it and they, they didn't put it quite that way that it was like Kirby's balls were removed, you know. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay. I'm not putting words or balls into your mouth, but you didn't say that. Okay. You didn't say that. I just said but you know the, the, the fact that, that was a much was, funnier way of putting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but when I when I when I was reading these comments, I just said, you know, to me, the answer to all of this is just let Bruce Tim do an animated version of these characters. Forget this live wow. action stuff. Just give them thirty million dollars to do the ultimate animated Kirby uh, animated film. It would be mind boggling. People would love it. Right. It would be fantastic. Imagine what he could do with all of the giant stuff that Kirby would do, all yeah. of the crazy world stuff. You know, even just down to the the, the squared off fingers and the, the you know the Kirby hands and all that. Yeah, it would be fantastic. And you, there's no way that live actors, even though they always will strike a certain pose from a cover to draw all the comic fans that ooh and ah over. It's like, no, it's not really the comics, and it can never be the comics. It becomes about those actors. And I, well, here's a, this is a sl- uh, another rant that I could go on, but when I was younger, going to conventions, like back when I got my first job uh, with with Al Milgram, 
at every convention, there would be what they would call a masquerade. And masquerade was Saturday night. And almost all of the people in the masquerade were children that would come to the convention and dress up as different characters. And they'd, they'd do a little thing on the stage and then they would give prizes for the best costumes and stuff. Well, that evolved into cosplay. And how did that happen? Where adults are dressed up and the costumes become more and more elaborate. It's because people saw real people dressed as these characters in movies where they weren't ridiculous, like the 1940s kind of superhero movies, where, you know, it wasn't just, you know, you could see the scenes or whatever, but they had, they somehow had turned it into something where people said, oh, this is sexy. Like these Hollywood actors have giant muscles or they're super, super powered. They believed it. And now they're all dressing up like it. So it's, to me, it's like, these, I look at those movies and I they look like cosplay. That's like, it's just a weird thing. Yeah. Superheroes are lines on paper to me. It feels much more realistic because the world is perfectly unified. It's all in an artist's style. They're more believable, no matter how believable CGI ever becomes. It's never going to be the same. Yeah, I will never believe that a character is the Hulk the way I believe Jack Kirby could draw the Hulk or Herb Trimpey or something like that. It's never going to be the same. And it's like, it's, it's, comics is an art form. It's not just an idea form for Hollywood. And, it, you know, and I know we know that. You guys are comic fans. But most of the world, from now on, when they think of these characters, they're immediately thinking of the movie version. They are not yeah. thinking of the You know, they think of Iron Man. It's, it's, not, it's not you name the artist and the writer that, that worked on that character. They're thinking of Robert Downey Jr. It's going to be that because Hollywood just dominates the, the real universe we live in, you know, not the Marvel universe, but yeah. Okay. That's, that's my negative rant for the night. No, I pre we definitely appreciate your, your point of view on it. I'm old enough and sour enough and I don't need work from Marvel DC. So now I can dump. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> uh, I, I, I saw Ant-Man and I, I got a kick out of it. That was fun. I think I think I saw it on a plane, but I enjoyed it. That yeah, that, that's a kind of we don't really care what happens. We're going to have fun with this movie type of a movie. Yeah, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Yeah. So before we go, uh, where can our listeners, fans, anyone who sees us or hears it, where can they see your work, follow you, et cetera, all the good stuff? Well, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm on the old internet, so I'm all over the place. But I do have a website, HillaryBarda.com. One L and Hillary. And I also have a, a Patreon page, which I don't know if it's Hillary Barda slash Patreon. But uh, my Patreon page is free. So, And what I do on it is I do my process. Um, I show from pencil sketch all the way to finished inks how I do my drawings. And, um, you know, so you, you don't have to give me any money. You can just show up and, and look at the stuff, and I still want people to come and see it. So, I'm, I'm, uh, please do. You know, I, I really would love people to participate and give me feedback. I'd love to know what they think. But I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. I put my stuff up there. So. I do a thing called Screwy Tuesdays on the internet. I, I do a hashtag if you want to find it. But I just do a wacky drawing and post it every Tuesday. So that's great. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely include all of that information on our show notes. So, um, Hillary, thank you so much for for spending time with us and just talking to us. We uh, really appreciated all this. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And next time, I want Orin to say something. Okay. 
<laughs> Welcome back, everyone. So that was our interview with Hillary Barda. Uh, pretty cool guy. A little quirky, I must say, but absolutely really fun to talk to. I really enjoyed our interview with him. Yeah, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. Uh, old movie fan like myself, but uh, his the work he did with so many different artists, uh, it's incredible, and it was really a joy to speak to him. So um, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, follow. Uh, you know the socials. I won't uh, bother you with that. But just make sure you join us again. Uh, our next episode coming at you on Friday. So you guys have a good rest of your week. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Orrin Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.